Welcome and thanks for tuning in to Diving Deep with DL. In the last Godcast, Discipleship, the Way of Life, Repentance, What's That? We now understand God's view of it, God's desire for it, God commands it, and God's warning about not performing it. We've learned repentance follows conviction, and conviction is the work of God the Holy Spirit. We've learned repentance is not a new idea because it's in the Old Testament and within the Torah. We've learned repentance is not just about turning away from sin. The evidence of true repentance is a way of thinking that changes as one moves from a life that practices sin to a life that practices righteousness. That's the plain old truth. This Godcast will speak to what God says and what's omitted from the talks within the ecumenical community today. You got your tanks. Let's dive in. This segment is titled Discipleship the Way of Life, Repentance, Part 2, What It Looks Like. It seems that because so many are depending on others to educate and provide biblical understanding, they've become complacent with full spiritual growth and maturity that God provides in the lives of their disciples. I mean, after all, God the Holy Spirit is the helper who's entrusted to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said to you. The truth is in John 14, 26. Go study, read, and meditate on it, and I pray God illuminates your mind and changes the way you think about God's truth. Amen? Many fail to read, study, and meditate on God's word, even though they want God to speak to them, and yet they do not read his word or see his word as letters to his children, and fail to see and understand what God promises he will do in their lives when they do read, study, and meditate on his word. Listen to this promise of God and the truth. And it's God's word is God-breathed or God-inspired, depending on your translation. Mine, as I have testified, is the NAS 95. Listen to what God says through their disciple Paul to their disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. May I ask you again, and I will ask as long as the only true God provides breath in these lungs, what other tool on the face of this planet could be able to match the claim of God? That it's profitable for teaching, it's profitable for reproof and correction, for training in righteousness. And then you become a man of God and then be adequate, meaning sufficient and suitable and equipped, meaning armed. How about that word? Armed, prepared and ready for every good work. Listen to this promise in Psalm 1, 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So God says, as a disciple of Jesus, you will delight in God's word. You will have enjoyment, pleasure, and gladness. He references it as tree, not 
just planted a firmly planted tree, not to be moved by the winds and the shaking of the sand, not in the desert by streams of water, yielding fruit, thriving and flourishing, and doing well, my fellow disciples, to accomplish their work in this sin-infested planet. Listen to Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. God blesses those who read, hear, and heed his words. And finally, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was the, its fall. So may I ask, if Jesus expects his disciples not only to hear his word, and hearing comes by the word of Christ, as Romans 10.17 testifies, what are you to do as a disciple of Jesus? Well, I would hope you would say to hear and act on Jesus' words. And how can you act on his words when you don't read them? Well, the short answer is you can't. That's the simple truth, my fellow disciples. Cogitate on this. It's God's desire for his people to read his words so you learn of them. Your heart begins to know them. You gain understanding about the truth of the only true God and you hear his excellent doctrine, beautifully preached in all of his word, but specifically Matthew 5 through 7 titled the Sermon on the Mount. You develop a new perception of God and your relationship with God begins to grow. And if God desires it, and you don't read it, are you sinning? Because obedience to God and his commands is to read it, to be a student or a disciple, a learner of the truth of the only true God. Because the plain old truth you didn't even open a Bible because you were living a life of sin and the practice of it. You would have been like yours truly and only use the Bible to store important papers and items like baseball tickets. But yet it sat out in the open so you could give the impression. Am I the only one? And if the truth be known under this skin... You were, like me, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, living in the lusts of your flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, as I reference Ephesians 2. How repentance should look like pertaining to God's word. 
Well, your way of thinking changes. You see that God's word is totally consistent, unfailing and trustworthy, and it's without error, my fellow disciples. You can see that God provides more than moral or ethical teachings. You can test it up against the numerous detailed prophecies and confirming the ancient and scientific facts. And most importantly, God does not change. And the proof of this truth is Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Praise God. The awe-inspiring and overpowering value and significance of God's word in your life, that God's word does not only impact your life physically, but especially spiritually. That's the simple truth. So, your way of thinking changes as you turn your attention away from the things of the world, social media and the like, which actually serve as a distraction to reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word, which is, by the way, a powerful distraction strategy of Satan. And God, the Holy Spirit, provides His disciples understanding so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. As I quote what God said through their disciple Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.11, amen? So the simple truth, my fellow disciples, if you're not reading God's word and your mind and thoughts haven't changed toward God and his word, then repentance hasn't occurred. And that's a scary thing. And the scary thing is there must not be any conviction about reading, studying, and meditating on God's word. And I wonder what that means. No need to answer me. You have someone with a capital S greater than I you will have to give an account to. Go read 2 Corinthians 5.10 and 1 Peter 4.5. Amen? Now, Let's dive into what Jesus said through his disciple Luke in Luke 19, 1 through 10, titled Zacchaeus Converted. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, excuse me, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, 
Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So let's check the mind of the man named Zacchaeus and his current way of thinking. Well, first, he's rich. Why would he need to see Jesus? I mean, he could deceive himself and believe that God has blessed him with a really good job and riches, right? So he's already blessed, right? I mean, he has a good job because his job and his actions made him a rich man. God's blessing, right? Now, being a rich man, he could have bought his way to the front of the line and would have been right next to the road where Jesus was walking. But no, that isn't it. He could have hired a really tall man that would place him on his shoulders in order to see. But no, that isn't it either. He could have bought off the root planner to have Jesus come by his home. And he could have sat in his home and looked from the comforts of his balcony to see Jesus. But no, that one isn't it either. Why would Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Well, my fellow disciples, there's only one answer. And it's John 6, 44. No one can come to Jesus, as Jesus is saying. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. If the Father does not do his work, Zach would not be there. That's the plain old truth. But before we do, I must testify to this biblical truth and glorify God in their work within their creation. The predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So, there are many key workings of God going on in this account of Zacchaeus. Here are a few key ones that I think will give us a clearer understanding of repentance. First of all, we have the place. You know, Jesus came to the place. Well, my fellow disciples, there are millions of the place over the course of humanity that God meets their disciples. Proof? God planted a garden, the well where the Samaritan woman came, Saul on the road to Damascus, the temple, the manger, the courtyard, the upper room, Peter in the boat, Satan at the tree, the cross, Midway in Alpha, Dallas, Texas, and you're the place my fellow disciples, all in the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And then it says, after he came to the place, Jesus looked up. Well, you should know, my fellow disciples, God's eyes are always moving. Proof? Proverbs 5.21 For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Psalm 34.15 The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open 
to their cry. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So let me ask you this. If someone was on Jesus' left, and the tree where Zach was is on the right, and just as Jesus got to the tree, why didn't someone yell off Jesus' name? Or ask Jesus for healing? Or ask Jesus a question? And Jesus would have looked left and walked right on by the tree. Now, Zach would have gotten what he climbed the tree for to see who Jesus was. I wonder if he said, now the face and the name, I can put them together. That was his mindset and goal, if you will. But no, that is not what God had planned for Zacchaeus that day. Because like you, my fellow disciples, God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge has the place for you as well. you got to believe this truth of God. Amen? I must testify. Consider this. Over the years, I've heard many, many times that Jesus would not invade your space. <laughs> okay, so you say. The only reason Jesus does not invade a person's space is because I don't have to, he says. But let me ask you this question based on what God says. This is what God says, and then you tell me if God invades is not what really happens to a sinful creature. Remember? But listen, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let me ask you, does God invade your darkness? Well, based on Colossians 1.13, which you just heard, I would say, yes, God does invade your darkness. So what happened at the tree? Jesus invites himself. I thought Zach had to invite him. Isn't that what you hear? But let me ask you, how can a person who is dead invite life? And what did Jesus say? For today I must stay at your house. Sounds like it was already planned. I must stay at your house today. And Jesus did actually invite himself to Zacchaeus' house to me. How about you? I believe the proper terminology to use here is the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So, it's God's work. And now, what does repentance look like in Zacchaeus' life? Well, God spoke and Zacchaeus moved. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. Listen to this. This is an amazing work of God and how God the Holy Spirit works. Remember conviction. Well, they only moved a few feet from the tree. And Zach says this, first action of repentance. Zacchaeus stopped. This is what God intends for repentance to do. Stop. 
Stop the sin. Stop the disobedience. Stop the rebelliousness. Stop being unruly. Stop prideful living. Stop living to please and satisfy the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Stop. Jesus says it another way with the same meaning and context. It's Luke 9, 23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Repentance calls for a change in the way you are thinking and acting. Zacchaeus is a rich man because he was selfish and greedy. Because the acton is the testimony of the work of God in the life of their disciple. So, Zach stops. Then, he calls Jesus Lord. This is the guy that just wanted to see who he was. He calls him Lord. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. So what God does in the heart of the converted is the realization that monetary wealth in no way compares to the treasure of being in an eternal relationship with the only true God. And my fellow disciples, it begins now. Listen to this testimony, and it was from Jesus' disciple Paul in a letter inspired by God to the fellow disciples in Philippi. Listen, it's Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. This is a comprehensive change in one's thinking when repentance is activated in the convert's essence. Then this happens. Repentance causes one to see actions that were sinful and then move from an unrighteous way of thinking and living to a righteous way of thinking and live. So listen to this. This is Zach testifying. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back four times as much. Now here this man is talking to God, and he uses the word if. Have you ever done that? said something like this to God, if I committed sin. I could imagine Jesus was thinking this. You have said it yourself. That would be the same thing Jesus said to Judas and to Caiaphas. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Well, I would say, based on what Jesus said in this account of the man named Zacchaeus, his physical and spiritual life has changed. One must have God the Father completing his work, which was creating a desire in Zacchaeus to see who Jesus was. 
And thus, by Zacchaeus moving, by running ahead to see Jesus, climbed up the sycamore tree, and hurried and came down and received him gladly. All actions created in Zacchaeus by God the Father, which is actually drawing Zacchaeus to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to his disciple John in John 6, 44? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one, not one, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Then there was conviction by the Holy Spirit and the evidence was Zacchaeus' changing of his mind from stealing to giving, giving to the poor, and giving to those he defrauded. And most importantly, was Zacchaeus's one-on-one with Jesus. All of these components of God working in one perfect accord is what creates true repentance in the heart and mind of the new convert and is a must in order for salvation to come to anyone's house. And that's the plain old truth. Anyone, when you think when God says house, I guess that would be everyone in Zacchaeus' family. Don't you think it'd be tent if it was just him? Or this life? He said house. Now, I don't know if you remember the mention of Midway and Alpha, Dallas, Texas. Well, my fellow disciples, that was yours truly's day of salvation. I still remember this work of God on that October day in 2003. God saved me from sure death in a motor vehicle accident that didn't happen. A car was going to broadside me in one of the busiest intersections in the North Dallas, Texas area. And on that day, there were only two cars in the intersection, mine and that red car. Apparently, the red car ran a red light. I had never saw him. And all I had time was for... (gasps) A breath, turn the wheel to the right, and stomp on the brake. There is no time. You know the amazing thing? For the previous several months, God placed me in the midst of several of their disciples. And I remember them vividly today. Mitchell and Aaron and Reagan and David and Carter and Josh. And I can still see the love of God they had in their eyes for a sinner like me. We had numerous ongoing discussions about my spirituality and the truth of the only true God and his word. (laughs) I remember one day in the break room, a few brothers were having a discussion about a theological truth. I came in for some coffee. I blurted out arrogantly, what religion is this? They all turned and the room got quiet and looked at me. A brother named Mitchell, he's the Mitch, who was sitting alone, turned to me respectfully and asked, Sir, what's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Oh, my flippant answer was, I know who he is and what he's done. I'm a religious man. And Mitch said humbly, D.L., 
It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, my fellow disciples, I couldn't answer him because I had no idea what he was talking about, a relationship with God. So I picked up my coffee cup and headed back to my office, mumbling to myself, relationship. What the heck did he mean by relationship? I will testify at the time I was exactly as God described in Ephesians 2, before God in his love, mercy, and grace saves. Let me revisit again Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise God. It was Mitch that gave me the paperback of the NASB 1995 that I placed in my desk drawer that day. He gave it to me and didn't realize the blessing it was going to be. I didn't know at the time how much of a blessing it would really become in my life. I remember on that October day, when I was leaving the office, I said to Aaron, I think God is trying to talk to me. Oh my goodness, his eyes grew wide and were beaming and his smile was so wide. And I was walking to my car wondering, why did I say that? Well then, less than a quarter of a mile from the office in my comment, I met Jesus at the corner of Midway and Alpha. And after I drove through the intersection, I heard the voice of God say, you don't have time. God changed my way of thinking that day. You can count on that. Not only did I repent, I also asked God for forgiveness. Believe that. It was only after my day of salvation did I pull that NASB 1995 out of my desk drawer and began to read it study it and memorize it and the more i read studied and meditated on god's word the more the truth of god and the holy spirit became began his teaching excuse me began his teaching in this corrupt and polluted mind and i remember when i came back to the office that day and told them that jesus saved me oh they all came to my office and huddled around me and prayed and thanked God for his salvation. The true beginning of my journey as a new disciple of Jesus. So, this is how repentance works 
and looks like when I changed the way of thinking that the Bible was not for my important items anymore. The Bible contains God's word. It's what God says and what God does, how God moves in the lives of his people, how God created all things and how God lived and what God calls good and what God calls evil and what God calls sin and what is eternal life and the wages of sin. What God says is saving grace. And it's by God's grace that I've been saved. Praise God. It's God's words that could and did begin a renewing and transformation process of my mind that was polluted with evil thoughts that resulted in evil words and deeds. Remember, the heart is the seed of the mind. And what fills your heart soaks your mind and your eyes, mouth, and feet follow. I must testify. Even though he gives us a new heart and a new spirit, as Colossians 2.11 and his circumcision made without hands in Ezekiel 36.26, that's God's words coming alive in you, in your essence. We keep this mind. The mind needs a renewing. That only comes with the work and power of God, the Holy Spirit. That's the plain old truth. And God knew I was a perfect candidate of depth-reaching mind renewal. And I must testify I was an angry man before that day of salvation. And I came across a verse of James 1, 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I needed to change the way I was thinking because God created desire in me to see that his righteousness was attainable. And when it became a life memory verse, I saw that I began to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I would say before salvation, profanity was a normal for me. And a significant part of my conversations, except for my superiors, of course, <laughs> you would hear it. And if we were dialoguing and my family was the bearers of most of it, then God led me to Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Oh, I remember my first thought. Oh my, I need to seek forgiveness for my family and a lot of others for the way I spoke to them. Lord, please forgive me for my wicked tongue. And now through repentance, I had to change the way I was thinking and remind myself of what an unwholesome word is and how it affects people who do not deserve such verbal communication or abuse. And look for words that inform, enlighten, instruct, and teach to give grace to those who hear versus a mindset of not caring at all who's listening. And lastly, the illicit images by the millions and all times of the day and night and you know, it cauterizes your mind and you become captivated and captive simultaneously. And God knew I needed to change the way I was thinking. 
And after being led by the Spirit to 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The plain old truth, my fellow disciples, I desire to want to live an abundant life and no longer let the world and my lust and pride control what I do and whose I've become. I could not have achieved a change in thinking without God, the Holy Spirit's work, teaching, and power. I'm testifying to the truth. As we head back up, take this with you. It's 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. True repentance is the act of changing the way you're thinking. Remember Zacchaeus? Acts 3, 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Romans 2, 4. Or do you, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The evidence of true repentance is your way of thinking changes as you move from a life that practices sin to a life that practices righteousness. That's the plain old truth. And when that happens, when a sinner repents, listen to this. It's what Jesus said to his disciple Luke in Luke 15, 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It must bring a tremendous amount of pleasure and joy to God and those in heaven when a sinner that is bound in a captivity of sin in the clutches, power, and control of the devil headed on the way that's broad that leads to destruction and then repents. And they become the next disciple that says, I was living a life of sin, but God. Praise God for his saving grace. Amen. Let me pray for you. Abba, I love you and I thank you for today. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Abba, I ask that you open their hearts to receive these words of your truth that comes directly from your heart through your word by your spirit in and through this Godcast. That this message is for each one of them directly wherever they may be on the planet. Continue to take it to the hearts you prepared to receive it by the power of your spirit. 
Abba, create a desire in their hearts of those you know need to read and act on your words. And Abba, provide understanding so that your truth will permeate their entire essence. Continue to encourage those disciples that are obedient and faithfully reading and studying and meditating and acting on your holy word and truth and your perfect doctrine. Lord, I ask that you bring forth clarity and understanding in their hearts of what it means to be a spirit that truly experiences the completed work of repentance and they truly experience a change in their thinking. Change their minds regarding your desire and command to repent. And through repentance, you will produce a change in action. Lord, show them that these actions are more than possessing a guilty conscience or a shame for unrighteous living. That true conviction comes only by God the Holy Spirit. And His conviction is through truth to reprove and expose the evil that exists in our hearts, in our minds, words, and deeds. And living a righteous life is obtainable and sustainable in and through the life, blood, and finished work of your beloved Son, Yeshua. I pray, God, that you are glorified in and through this Godcast because you've made it painfully obvious that all your disciples must have this spiritual work of repentance. And true repentance produces the fruit of righteousness. That every disciple would never think lightly of the riches of your kindness, your tolerance, and your patience. And come to a full understanding that it's by the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in to Diving Deep with DL. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have a great day of worship and keep walking the way.